Hello, I'm Carl Hayden, President of the Academy for Advancing Leadership. Welcome to AAL's Leadcast. Today I'm talking with Dr. Lucinda May, Chair of the Interprofessional Education Collaborative Board, or IPEC Board, and Executive Vice President and CEO of the American Association of Colleges of Pharmacy. I've asked Dr. Maine to join me to discuss IPEC's upcoming Interprofessional Leadership Development Program. This program will take place in Atlanta at the Georgia Tech Hotel and Conference Center. And the theme is Interprofessional Education for Collaborative Practice, Bridging the Gaps. And it's this theme that I want to turn to and discuss with Dr. Maine. Now, Dr. Main, you are one of the original founders of IPEC, and it's, it's my understanding in talking to you that conversations about IPEC started as early as 2009. And I know you've led and seen many changes in IPE for well over a decade. So let me ask you as a first question, do you think there is a gap between interprofessional education and collaborative practice? And if so, what are some of the factors contributing to that gap? Thanks so much for this opportunity, Carl. Um, yes, I do believe um, that there is a gap between what we are uh, introducing to our learners and then the reality that many of them find when they get out of our programs and even in their clinical learning environments. I think it is hard sometimes to um, place them in environments that have authentic team-based care and or collaborative practice. You know, what contributes to that? Well, IPE and team-based care is not yet as mature as our vision for it um, would like it to be. And why is that? There are both structural issues in the delivery systems of care, uh, as well as continuing issues associated with aligning payment for services with um, the delivery model that is team-based. That stems from our historical over-reliance on fee-for-service, you know, that this amount goes to a physician, this amount goes to a dentist or another clinician, um, but there are very limited models that um, have historically supported the delivery of team-based care. And some would tell you that having three to five or even more in some cases, depending upon the complexity of the services that a particular patient needs a team to deliver. There, you know, are, there are physical limitations. Um, there are electronic health record limitations. I mean, and I could go on, but I don't want to because I really want to shine a positive light on the progress that has been made. Virtually no one today believes that solo-based disciplinary-specific practice is the best model of care delivery and has the best patient outcomes. And in fact, we talk about the triple aim, the quadruple aim, the quintuple aim, um, and all of those are geared toward increasing the delivery of services by teams because patient outcomes are better, costs tend to be lower, and clinicians actually tend to be more satisfied with their work environment, which in the end of the pandemic is more important than ever. You also are seeing, both with the public sector payers like CMS and increasingly commercial payers, that um, 
they are moving from paying for value. I'm sorry, they're moving from paying for volume to paying for value. And that's the change in alignment between the financing of healthcare and the delivery of team-based collaborative practice that is going to accelerate, uh, narrow the gap between what we are imparting through our teaching and our learning and what our graduates are able to do when they get out of our programs. Great, thank you. Now, are there any other comments you'd make just about where we are in addressing these gaps? Well, I think that there is more public education that can be done to share, shine the light for the consumer on why, if they haven't experienced it, why preferentially seeking team-based care in their primary and their advanced specialty care is to their advantage. And what I've come to appreciate is when a consumer, when a patient actually experiences, in our case, um, a team where a pharmacist is um, working with them directly to sort out any confusion related to their medications, to help adjust medications when um, they are working with a, a, a chronically ill person with multiple uh, conditions. The light bulb goes off, but not enough consumers have yet had that experience, again, because of the limitation. And so public education, but also we need to continue to advocate both in the legislative context at the state and federal level, as well as with the private sector payers, that um, it is to everyone's advantage if we move the needle faster toward the delivery of, of comprehensive team-based patient care services, especially for those who are most vulnerable. Great, great, thank you. As I'm thinking about this upcoming conference, uh, the, the, the primary audience will be educators. So these, uh, many of them will be directors of, of IPE efforts at their campus or at their uh, health science center. So let me ask you, how can the education community engage the practice community to bridge the gaps? Or, or maybe I could state this in another way. Um, how, how can educators align their efforts to meet the goals of team-based and collaborative care in practice? There's a one-word answer to that, Carl, but I will also elaborate, of course. What educators need is advocacy. And, and I think especially for leaders of IPE efforts on a particular campus, there are multiple layers of advocacy that must be an important and valued part of their portfolio. First and foremost, they have to be the leading advocate within the upper administration of their, whether it's their academic health system or their university, for the legitimate resources that are needed for the growth and maturity of IPE in general. And they need to be strong advocates, and I might say stronger advocates, for the work to make our clinical learning environments team-based uh, and help to remo remove some of the impediments to that happening in sufficient quantities and quality um, to give our learners authentic uh, collaborative practice, team-based care um, experiences. 
But then that advocacy goes beyond the campus um, in that um, they need to be advocates within their own discipline and across disciplines so that some of the resistance to changes in, in scope of practice um, dissolve because people understand the, the value proposition of, of making the effort to deliver care in highly functional teams. And that extends to the legislative and the political arena as well. And that's often not a comfortable place for faculty to be. Uh, and in some cases, there are, are actually university restrictions on how much political activism of a given faculty member or even a dean can exert at the state or even in some cases the national level. So these are all things that we probably in IPEC haven't invested quite enough effort with to date, but with um, a couple tools that are coming to fruition in, in this very year, 2022, which we'll talk about at the leadership meeting, um, I think that there will be more ammunition to hand to our IPE leaders to help them make the case that this is evidence-based through our lit review and that um, we're also offering a tool for them to assess the maturity of their IPE work on their campus. All of these things are resources that will, I think, help to accelerate these transformations. Oh, that's fantastic. And I, and I would just reiterate something that you said, that we're going to be talking about these resources and unveiling them and discussing them and, and, and developing ways of implementing these resources as a part of this upcoming conference. That's right. So I, I know there has been uh, a number of successes. A few moments ago, you talked about the pharmacist working with the patient and the patient's experience. Uh, thinking about uh, the translation of, of IPE to collaborative practice, I, I'm wondering, can you give us an example or two of just successes that you've seen? Absolutely, I can. Um, on both the public and the private sector delivery side, I like to highlight um, the work that has under, been undertaken for 10 or more years within the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs and their in the Veterans Health Services. Um, there are some tremendous clinical pharmacy leaders within the VA who have used implementation science and evidence-based practice to remarkably expand the scope of the services that they deliver in the context of the veterans' health. And you know, that's a terribly resource-constrained um, health delivery system. There aren't, there aren't enough resources to do it. And so what, in some cases, believe it or not, um, pharmacists, clinical pharmacists, have been recognized with a unique scope of practice that actually even allows them to provide some independent primary and specialty care, especially in high-risk populations like, for instance, some of the psychiatric mental health services within the VA. So that's one model, and it's not limited just to the pharmacist expansion. They, they really utilize um, as much of an individual's education as they possibly can. They're not limited by some of the scope of practice restrictions at the state uh, level. 
um, they, they operate any licensed practitioner that has a scope of practice recognized by the credentialing system at the VA is able to really put their education and their skills to good work. So that's a public sector example. And then there are a number of integrated health systems across the United States that have done similar things because they're either um, a health system and health uh, insurer in their own right where their, their incentives are aligned to make value, to create value in their delivery system. And by and large, what they've learned over time is, is that they need to do exactly what the VA has done. So I will note um, the Geisinger Health System that serves central Pennsylvania, Intermountain Health System. Kaiser was a, a, actually a leading entity in this regard. And, and there are others probably too numerous to mention. And then I, I would miss an opportunity not to hold out the work of some of the federally qualified health centers that are providing disproportionate amounts of care to under uninsured and underinsured people in their communities. They have a mission to do that. And they too have found that team-based models of care are the most efficient. They uh, are the most uplifting to the clinicians in that practice. And so they have gone um, to many of the same links that these other programs are that I have mentioned. Fantastic. So, so it is working uh, in many places. These are these are these are great examples. Examples that um, certainly others can emulate. So, let me remind our listeners: we're talking about our upcoming conference, the IPEC Interprofessional Leadership Development Conference. The theme of the conference is interprofessional education for collaborative practice, bridging the gaps. And Dr. Main, for those listening to the podcast and considering whether to attend, can you give them some insights into what they're going to learn uh, as a part of their participation? Yes, and, and we've mentioned a couple of things about some new tools that are forthcoming from IPEC, and they will be exposed to some works that are working. Um, we always use some case studies and exemplars in our um, leadership and faculty development workshops. But one of the things that we know from the three previous conferences that we've uh, been privileged to work with you in designing and delivering, Carl, some of the greatest benefit is going to come from the networking that occurs uh, across programs. And um, that's a never fail opportunity for these people to learn with, from, and about each other um, and about how their programs, how they've surmounted obstacles to moving their programs forward and to sustaining them, especially at this very vulnerable time as we are hoping to be putting the COVID-19 pandemic behind us. That, that's fantastic. You, you know, it's true from every time we have done this program, we hear from participants that they want to hear what has what has uh, worked well for other institutions and how they can model and emulate what others have done. And I'll just mention that as a part of the, the program, uh, people will have an opportunity to present. So if you have done something that has worked well in bridging the gap, we want to hear from you. And you'll also have an opportunity to 
uh, participate in what we're calling showcase sessions uh, to learn and engage with people who have been successful. So Dr. Main, I wanna thank you for your time today. Uh, the program is scheduled for June 22nd through the 24th in Atlanta at the Georgia Tech Hotel and Conference Center. That's again, June 22nd through the 24th in Atlanta, the Georgia Tech Hotel and Conference Center. If you'd like to learn more about the program or if you'd like to register, you can visit ipecollaborative.org. So that's ipecollaborative, one word, .org. And click the tab for events and webinars and you'll go to the page that will give you more information about the conference as well as registration information. So on behalf of IPEC and AAL, thank you for listening. We look forward to seeing you in June.